just knowing that my people are with me and that in the presence of my people, no matter who I'm surrounded by physically, that it's impossible for me to be an imposter because they know who I am. Even when I don't know who I am, even when I'm questioning, they know. And so tapping in and being in connection with them is a way of remembering who I am and what the work is uh, that I'm bringing forward. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are taking a soul-nourishing audio journey through the ethers of the interconnected internet, following the luminous guiding light that reminds us that story is medicine, magic is real, and healing is open-ended and endless. I'm Amber Magnolia Hill, Today, sharing my interview with Tamira Cousset, we talk about the process of remembering and learning to be in daily direct communication with those who hold the container for our lives, aka the ancestors, embodying the blessings of diverse lineages, the evolution of Tamira's ancestral healing journey as a Black woman in the South with both African and European ancestors and ancestral connection and how it banishes imposter syndrome because you belong with and to your people always. And a lot, lot, lot more we talk about today. But first, some listener feedback from the last few episodes. It's so, so wonderful hearing from you all and knowing, knowing how these interviews touch people and change their lives. So the most recent episode, number 51, Maternal Mammalian Ecstasy, the Ancient Hormonal Blueprint for Optimal Birth and Bonding with Sarah Buckley, got such a beautiful response. Um, Jupiter Jones on Patreon wrote, my whole life I've heard how painful and stressful birth is for a woman particularly since I myself was the result of a difficult pregnancy and C-section. But this episode made me understand how inherently equipped our bodies are for this wild and profound experience, reorienting my frame of reference to view birth as a joyful and potentially pleasurable experience has made me really look forward to going through that process someday. I'll also never forget no hatting, no padding, no chatting. And Lauren Miranda on Instagram wrote, This episode is an excellent resource for learning about the physiological brilliance that naturally unfolds in birth for optimal wellness of mom and baby. Even if you don't plan on giving birth, this information is so important. The vitality and future of our species depends on reclaiming wonder and reverence for birth over fear and medicalization. And then the episode before, episode 50 with Rosemary Gladstar, Kneeling to the Earth, Herbalism is Remembering. Um, Amanda, the wild tea lady, wrote in the Medicine Stories Facebook group, Lovely. I like to see acceptance that we are all sharing information, old knowledge, and some new. Ego has no real place. Just sharing, remembering, and learning. Keep growing organic and loving, tending, and caring for our beautiful land. Always give back more than you reap. That really is just the spirit of Rosemary and of that interview. 
um, contained. Thank you, Amanda. And then episode 49 with Marie Sue, whose music you just heard opening this episode, Grieving the Spirits of the Land and Bringing Healing to the Ancestors. Annie on Patreon writes, I listened to the whole Grief and Exile album start to finish on a long train ride, trying to keep quiet as I cried hard to many of the songs. After that, I saw on Instagram that the new podcast with Marie Sue had come out. I am a regular listener of your podcast, and each one gives me chills by how synchronistically it is aligning with my life on that particular day. When I heard Marie's music play the first time, I listened to episode one that sealed the deal for me on the fact that I was meant to find your podcast. Marie's music has inspired me as a songwriter and given me a deep connection to the parts of me that I now have more tools to understand through shadow work and very much through the aid of your podcast and all the resources I've found from it and the community around it. I want to say thank you to you both for the beautiful interview and all the medicine. Your podcast, you, Marie, and her music have given to my life. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. The four of you whose words I just read. So, so meaningful. It's just what keeps me going. It's just what keeps this podcast happening. So endless, eternal gratitude for taking the time to share and and write your responses and uh just epic love for the folks who do it on itunes review on itunes it definitely takes some extra steps but it's helpful in getting the show out there thank you thank you um let's talk about today's patreon offering because i'm really excited about this one it is a bonus interview it's an extra 20 minutes of Tamira and I talking about imaginal remembering and ancestral connection. So we talk about the receiving of ancestral memory, writing, singing, and ritual as remembering, imaginal remembering as a surrendered state of openness that goes beyond the mind, and how this way of perception is a spectrum from the small everyday downloads to being deep in ceremony and how plant medicines can help open our sensory gating channels from psychedelics to lemon balm tea. We talk about decolonizing the mind and how we can all access these realms of consciousness. And then we touch on skepticism and doubt and how to know when these experiences are real. And the etymology of the word imagination and upsetting rituals of disconnection by reclaiming our language and claiming your human inheritance and gathering all available resources to you. I also, in that post, link to two books related to this idea of imaginal remembering or, you know, just being open to messages from the other world, from the ancestors, from the plants and animals, however, however you want to frame this. We're using the beautiful phrase, imaginal remembering. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It's available for supporters at the $2 level. And there's a ton of other stuff there as well. If you have not yet 
pledged and you do, you will just find um, (laughs) a plethora of beautiful offerings from past podcast guests related to the things we like to talk about on this show. Before we get into it, I just want to say really quickly, I mentioned to Tamira that I have, I had a splitting headache during the interview. Um, And I've, of course, talked about my pain on this podcast before, but it's actually been a lot better in the last couple months. And so I wanted to just briefly share what changed that for me. And it is the work of Christine Kent and um, this whole woman framework, whole woman posture specifically. So I heard about her in her interview on the Honey Talks podcast. So you can look for that Honey Talks, Christine Kent. Um, It was about uterine prolapse, which I didn't even know what that was. Um, And why Kegels don't work was the title. And I thought that was intriguing. So I listened and I'm so glad I did. It's basically about how we've been taught as women to hold our bodies in a certain way. And it's not the way our ancestors held their bodies. And it can create so many physical problems for us. So really, you guys, what has shifted this pain for me is not sucking my stomach in, which is very hard to do. It's so hard to do. After my second child, my body just changed in a way it didn't with the first. Um, I'm still like reorienting. And so I noticed that I'm just constantly sucking it in, even when I'm home. Um, and, And that really begins a like complex process of my body torquing in different ways and the pain radiating up into my head and up down my back and all sorts of places but oh my gosh when I stand in this whole woman posture as I am now remembering to do as I'm standing recording this intro it changes and even when I'm uh, triggered when I'm like in a pain space if I can just stand in this posture for 10 minutes it can greatly reduce or even completely get rid of the pain. So I know that that's going to help a lot of people out there. Um, so just wanted to mention it and put it in your ear. And also I found that around the same time that I started working more closely with Rose Medicine, as talked about in episode 47 of the podcast. And it continues to be that the main form I'm working with is is the scent medicine of it is my beautiful rose perfume. And that has really helped with like, you know, it's so softening and it helps me remember to soften my belly, soften my stance, um, get back into this more ancestral way of standing, which by the way, includes not tucking the tailbone, which we've all been taught to do, especially if you've done um, yoga or I heard ballerinas are taught this as well. We just, it's just crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy what we've been taught, how we've been taught to hold ourselves as women to um, look better with the belly sucking in or with the tailbone tucking to, to um, match these like very masculine ideals of how the body should be, especially with yoga and the tailbone tucking. So dive into that if you think it could help you. And um, man, like breaking the mental blockages around letting my belly hang out is going to be, it's going to take some more time for sure. Hasn't been easy. And one final thing, 
is Tamira talks about how she just visited her grandmother uh, with her two daughters and her grandmother was telling stories about her grandmother. And I just want to encourage people out there. I've said this before. If you have living elders in your life, please go talk to them. Please ask them questions before they're gone. And I encourage you to record it record it. It's amazing. I've been doing this since 2010, almost a decade now. And when I go back and watch the videos or listen to the audio, it's amazing what I've forgotten Um, or what I've learned since then that suddenly makes more sense of the information they gave me back then, the story they told. So please talk to your elders before they're gone and please do yourself a favor and record it. Okay, so Tamira Cousset is a practitioner of ancestral and earth-honoring wisdom who is committed to personal wellness in service to greater cultural healing. She is the grandchild of West African, British, and Irish ancestors by way of Alabama, Ohio, and Indiana. She grew up primarily in Atlanta in a loving Muslim home run by powerful women. The double initiations of motherhood and navigating an interracial marriage cracked her open to sacred grieving and spiritual realities and to the importance of ancestral and cultural healing for living a balanced and resourced life. Her spiritual path led her to become a student of ancestral lineage healing with Dr. Daniel Four, who of course has been interviewed on this podcast twice episode 26, and I believe episode 44. Yep, 44. And a student of West African Orisha tradition in the lineage of Oluo, Falalu, Adesanya, Awuyade, of Ode Remo. She has also been very blessed to spend time in ceremonial space with Brazilian earth-honoring traditions. She now lives with her husband, two amazing daughters, and two affectionate dogs in traditional Okanichi territory in North Carolina. Okay, y'all. Um, anything that I've talked about in this intro or that we talk about in the episode will, of course, be there in the show notes under links. And without further ado, let's listen to the wisdom of Tamira Cousset. Hello, Tamira. Welcome to Medicine Stories. Hi, Amber. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. This is one of those um, social media connections, you know, where I came into awareness of you through some posts that you had done that were just so eloquent and beautifully written and holding so much wisdom. I was like, who's she? And um, and then just the more, you know, I dove into what you had been offering, the the more enamored I became of you and your work. And so I'm really honored to have you and your people here. And yeah, I would love to begin by asking you, who are your people? Who are your people? Who do you descend from? And how have you come to a point in your life where this ancestral connection and remembrance is is such a focus for you? Yeah, so I am the grandchild, the descendant of people from West Africa, Britain, and Ireland. And so that's my web of connection. Those are my ancestors that have and continue to hold the prayers in place for me to be alive in this moment and to walk this earth. They're holding down the rituals and and the prayers of, of life and living and 
being on the planet in an incarnate form for me. And they're a big resource uh, in my life. And yeah, I've, I've always had a very deep connection to them. And even more so after giving birth and having children, I was really called um, to being in a deeper alignment and in a deeper connection with their wisdoms and their ways of being and living on the earth. And so I, I, I've had visitations from them at a young age in dreams and just working with inner knowings and intuition. And then later in life, having direct contact and experiences with them in ceremony, working with plant medicine. And that is what has brought me to this path of like awakening and remembering why I'm here, what I've come here to do, and really stewarding over the life of the ancestors returning in the form of my children and having an awareness and a responsibility uh, of, of tending to them on the earth side and making sure that they're connected and aware of this deep and powerful support system that we have in the ancestral realm that's backing us and holding us here on earth. So you said you had some experiences when you were a child. Was this mm -hmm. something that um, was talked about with your parents at all? Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Very uh, taboo. I was raised, and I, and I do want to say that even though I have diverse ancestry, like I'm a Black woman, and that has been my experience of being a Black woman raised in the South. And I was raised by a single mother with twin daughters. And so my mother was very busy working. And she didn't herself have a framework for navigating and engaging with the spiritual realm. She's one of 12 children. My grandmother and my grandfather from Alabama. And they have 12 children. They had 12 children together. Um, my grandmother was married at 15. She ran away from home to be with my grandfather, who was in the military at 25. And so it was a hard life. It was really hard. There was a lot of disconnection uh, from family because my grandmother chose to leave and elope to be with my grandfather. And so having the framework for navigating these conversations of working with the unseen realms was not something that was talked about, like ever, ever. And so those were my little dreams and visionings that I wrote down and kept to myself in my little journals. Uh, things would come through in messages that were written down, but that was something that I knew that wasn't um, held in my environment for sharing. So that's always been something that I've kind of kept to myself. Yeah. And then how did how did the plant medicines act as an opening for you? Oh yeah, that was good. Um, just thinking about it is giving me a little bit of chills here because it was, if you can imagine coming face to face with your people and feeling the fierce love and compassion and also like, what are you doing? Like, don't you remember what you said you came here to do? Like that, that reckoning in that space and feeling the responsibility and really coming into ownership of the agreements that I made and coming here, that was how they pulled that out of me. It was like this remembering of like all this work that I've come here to do and what am I doing? How am I not living in alignment 
with their values and with their wisdom. So what am I ignoring? How am I ignoring the dreams that are coming? How am I ignoring and not making space and time for honoring the connection in all the ways that they're attempting to show up and get my attention? And so it was kind of like, whoa, I'm accountable to some ones here, right? Some greater powers here. And so it was really that, like having that vision of like direct contact with them. And it wasn't just like, oh, this is a dream. It was like, okay, I'm very in my body and I feel them in my presence, in my space in a non-invasive way, but it's kind of like, whoa, it's like the kid that's like in the house tearing everything up. And then they look up and it's like, oh, somebody's watching. Okay. (laughs) Hi, see you guys. (laughs) So it, it, it was really that of carving the space out to be in connection and communication with them. And it, there was just a message for me, like, there are unwell ones. Like, what are you doing? You said you were going to come here and help with healing. Like, there's unwell ancestors in the lineage. And what are these patterns that are playing out in your life? How are you playing these patterns on repeat? How are you feeding the unwellness? Are you even aware of that? And so it was a really long night (laughs) of really having a lot of insight uh, into my own life and the ways that I was living into some of the more burdensome and troublesome uh, qualities that were present in the lineages that were feeding the unwellness and unwellness that played into bigger patterns collectively, right? So really coming into recognition um, with that. Yeah. Did... I mean, did you welcome it immediately? Were you like, oh, yes, there you are. And yes, I, this work is pulling me. Or were you, was part of you like, no, it's too much. It's too big. Well, there's a little bit of both of that. I mean, just the, the sheer like, oh, my God, is this real? Like, you're here. Like, that was so welcoming. And so, like, I felt the love and the compassion and the prayers, like, that are anchoring my life here. Like, feeling that was amazing. And then also like, oh my God, like I've forgotten. I was in a, really in a grief spiral for quite some time during that experience of like all the things, all the time that I've had in this body that I've like not been living up to these agreements, that I've not been embodying the gifts, that I've not been in connection. You know, I've not picked up the phone to listen to your wisdom. Like, oh my gosh, there's grief here. So like acknowledging that and also sitting with the notion of like, oh my God, it's too big. I used to have that thought at times and I've been sitting with more recently something that they've told me and they're like, nothing is bigger than the prayers and the rituals that we're holding down for your life to exist in the moment. Like nothing surpasses that. We are helping to create the conditions for you to be here and to do this work, work that you said that you would do. So I don't hold the vision that anything is too big uh, in that way anymore because the powers of my ancestors and the other unknown powers and spirits that are backing my life, I don't say that anything is bigger than that because they're creating the conditions for life. And because they create those conditions, anything that happens in this container is small potatoes compared to like anchoring the possibilities and the conditions for this life to exist. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that was a reality check I had to come to with myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. through their wisdom. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, my impression of you is that you are really frequently checking in, like actually checking in with your ancestors and bringing your questions to them um, and 
and listening and then receiving the guidance and acting on it in a really real way in the way that our ancestors did with their ancestors and in a way that so many folks today have um, forgotten how to do but are are yearning to relearn how to do yeah totally there's not a day that goes by that i'm not in some sort of conversation with them and i think that it's important to say that i think a lot of us are all in this process of remembering and that it looks very different for different folks depending on what that modality of connection is and sometimes yeah it looks like me putting offerings out on the altar and other times it looks like me just being in direct communication with them offering up gratitude and praise and it being like a conversation you know like with a loved one because they are beloved ones and I'm a beloved of them so it, it doesn't have to be this um you know, sometimes I think like, oh, it has to be this very grand, grandiose thing. And it's like, actually, no, I just have to pause and be still and listen and be in connection, be in a space of listening and then be in a space of conversation and dialogue. And so, yeah, on a daily basis, always checking in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I always say you don't have to don your caftan and light every candle every time you want to check in. You know, those bigger, deeper rituals are so helpful and anchoring, but it's so um, easy and necessary just to check in every day, just the little hellos and yeah, being still and listening. Totally. Um, and I think that feeds the connection. I mean, that the larger rituals are beautiful, but also just the checking in of like, hey, that's what's helping to feed the connection. That's how we build trust. You know, that's how we open up and we become vulnerable, not in the moments of where we have, you know, ritual and ceremonies set out, but like, in the everyday ritual and ceremony of being alive, you know? And it's so funny because I haven't been able to really do any big out there rituals aside from like helping to uh, support the ancestral healing work and also going to trainings when I have them. I was just talking about this the other day. This There was a mother who was like, I really want to connect with my ancestors, with my kids. Like it's so hard and carving out time. And I was like, let me just tell you, it would be a dream if I could wake up and shower and make hot tea and put on a beautiful white like gown and go upstairs and meditate and pour tea for me and my people. But that doesn't work. <laughs> like honoring where you are in life and what's available and what the resourcing is, is super important. And the ancestors have an amazing, at least mine do have an amazing sense of humor. And, you know, my kids <laughs> are up here with me like, mom, what are you doing? Mom, I want to touch the altar. Okay, great. They want the kids around. They want them to be involved. And so making space for my kids in my practice is a part of that ritual and ceremony training, right? Over and over again, I'm like humbled and humbled and humbled over and over again of just like, come back, come back, keep showing up, keep showing up, strengthen the connection by everyday drop-ins. And yeah, when the ceremony time comes around, great. And if it doesn't go as planned, that's great too, right? Right. Yeah. For me, so often the drop in is just like laying in bed at night, exhausted in the only free moment I've had, you know, just a quick Mm -hmm. hello and a thank you. And this is reminding me of something that um, a previous guest, Yaya, said, and she was quoting our friend Bethany, who during a broom making workshop shared Mm -hmm. this um, beautiful idea that, you know, in order to move closer to our ancestors, we should do things that our ancestors would recognize. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think of this as like, you know, cooking food and tending the earth and not so much like driving a car or typing on a computer. 
Um, and of course, raising children is something that they would recognize so, so yeah. thoroughly. I mean, by, by definition, every one of our blood ancestors was a parent. And so when we are in relationship with our kids every day, no matter how mundane the task, if like a target run or something, you know, we're still, we're still parenting our children in a way that our ancestors would deeply recognize. Totally. And it's a deepening of that connection. You know, in the Yoruba tradition, West African tradition of uh, Ifa and Orisha, the children are held as the ancestors returning. And so it's that deep remembrance and that connection of like, yes, they are just fresh off of the ancestral realm. They're carrying wisdom. They're carrying knowledge. We need to parent them, of course, you know, because they're still very much learning and coming into these bodies, but also like they are the ancestors returning. They are the new face of the lineage. And so when we tend to them and have good relationships with them, we're honoring and deepening that connection to our ancestors because the legacy is continuing. The lineage is continuing through them. With your children, did you have, or do you have, um, you know, a sense of a particular lineage being held more strongly in them? Definitely my mother's mother's lineage. And that's a really strong, strong lineage for me. It was the first lineage that I worked with and one that is really always almost in the forefront um, around connection. And it is very inherent and very present in them. I oftentimes joke that my eldest is like one of those great, great grandmas like coming back. And she, her birthday is actually the death day of my great great grandmother mm. so it's, it's very interesting she's very much on that path of like an old lady in a little kid's body it's very <laughs> sweet <laughs> that's awesome um and do you do you so you're you know incorporating them into the the ritual or the altar you know however simply that is done do you also talk to them about like the genealogy, like the, this was your great, great grandmother. This is where she was born and lived and trying to share those ancestral stories that are known to you. Yeah, definitely. Weaving them into those threads has been super important. And the genealogy on the predominant sides of my ancestry, the West African side, you know, has been very limited just because of slavery and colonialism and the records that were kept but the stories that I do have and the pictures that I do have are really important. And I do weave the children into that. Just like my grandmother, when I went to go visit her this past weekend and the kids were with me, she was telling stories of her grandmother who raised her when she was a child, who was also attending to her own mother. So her 104-year-old grandmother you know, was raised in the same space as my grandmother was. Mm. So sharing those stories and talking about food and connecting to the land, those are all things that I share uh, with my kids, especially like landscapes, pulling up pictures, you know, they came from Alabama. This is what Alabama looks like. Like, let's have a look at this headstones, pictures of headstones that I've found on the internet through genealogy. So weaving them in so they have some context uh, visually because they're very outdoorsy little people is, has been really important for me and also weaving in the stories. So, yeah. And does it hold their interest? Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. If anything that if, if people are struggling with ways to connect kids, music and stories, kids love to sing and they love stories. And so the weaving in of these stories, and sometimes, you know, we make them a little fantastical and add some little details in there. Uh, 
has been a really sweet way of just like roping them in and weaving them in. And a lot of traditions, you know, the stories and the medicines are oral traditions and stories and medicines. And so for me, this is a way of like passing that down to my little people and sharing that with them through oral tradition. So you have, um, you did a talk for the Ancestral Healing Summit called Embodying the Blessings of Diverse Ancestral Lineages. And this seems to be, I mean, clearly an important piece for you with, with the ancestry that you named earlier and with the fact that you are a Black woman in the South raising children. How, how has your, I guess I want to ask like how your understanding of how you hold those diverse lineages has evolved as you have grown into deeper relationship with your people? Yeah, so it's actually been something that's been happening in tandem, holding both or all sides of my lineages has really helped me to deepen, to be in the capacity of receiving blessings and receiving uh, the ability to be in connection with my people. I have a very particular lived experience as being a black woman Uh, in the South around racism and white supremacy and all those things that are present uh, in the U.S. and particularly uh, in the South. And in the very beginning, some of those things, like not coming to grips with my own personal grief around those things and my own personal experiences, some of those were barriers for engaging with and being in relationship to my ancestors of European ancestry, of British and Irish ancestry. And so really digging in and leaning in and being present with the grief that I was carrying was super huge and transformative for me to be able to step back and see that what is happening, yes, there's an individual experience that we're all having. And also there's a there are overall larger collective themes and patterns that are running that are in place. And so while it's important that I have my personal experience, it's not helpful if I'm lost and I'm drowning in it because I can't recognize the grief. And so I cut myself off from the parts that make me whole. My daughter said a really beautiful thing the other day. She said, mommy, a part doesn't make a whole. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. Right. We have to have all pieces online because we're in a space in the world right now where we need all of our resources readily available. And so the ancestral healing work coming to terms with that, um, with, with all of my lineages and being willing to be open to embodying their blessings and really sitting with the harms that have come through folks within the lineage that have acted them out on other aspects of my lineage, right? So sitting with that and acknowledging that has been helpful with me and having a sense of cultural identity and pride in my people and where I come through, where, where I come from and what's coming through me uh, as a result of that, like the blessings, like to really fully embody them. And so it's been really important for me to do that, to be available, to have all resources uh, on hand and on deck and to be in communication with all sides of my ancestry and my people and not just limit that to my lived experience of racism and all the other isms and troubles and things that have come as a result of, you know, white supremacy and colonialism. So, yeah, it's been a big step for me in stepping back and being like, okay, have a personal story, a personal narrative, and also what are the bigger collective themes, patterns that are happening here so that I'm not just totally enmeshed in my personal experience of this. 
So like healing and empowerment through stepping back and seeing the wider arc of time and the bigger story that your lineages are carrying forward in you. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, Totally. It's like having the ancestral lens placed on everything, right? Not the human mm -hmm. personal lens, but like, what is the ancestral lens of like the bigger arc of time? Like you said. Yeah, it's, I really appreciate hearing you speak about this. And I think I think of how often I've seen online, um, mostly people of European descent yelling at other white people that if they are anything other than um, ashamed and hateful towards their ancestors, that they're doing it wrong. And and then I wonder, well, how how are people of diverse lineages holding that piece then? You know, if they're being told you have to hate this, this half of yourself, this part of yourself. Um, and I know so from my go ahead. I just know from my own experience, I did feel that at a point of like, in order for me to like respect and honor my ancestors of, you know, from Africa, I don't want to like claim or talk about, you know, the European ancestry, like that's very much a thing. And it's very much something that I went through. And I just, it feels important to name that because I feel like it's a big part of the culture. Oftentimes when we, we talk about folks with um, mixed ancestry and identity, at least for myself. And I know for beloved ones and family members that share the same ancestry as me, it's, it's been a thing to be like, I have to pick one over the other. And if I pick this other one, I'm going to be dishonoring this one. So it's something that I've definitely um, had to come to terms with. And just appreciating what you said about online, like the the piece of like, if you're not feeling anything but ashamed, like, wow, that's something that makes me just like, it makes my blood boil just a little bit because knowing the ancestral lens, like there's rituals of disconnection that are happening. That's what the isms are. That's what white supremacy, that's what all these things are, are rituals of disconnection. And so if we further feed them by holding in place shame and hatred and anger, rather than shifting the lens from uh, responsibility, if we, if we are holding in this place of, of blame, we're ritually feeding those energies of disconnection, which further are feeding racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, all the things. And so we have to be very specific and very intentional when we're doing our work in the world around the cultural ills and the harms that are happening and be very present, first of all, with how we're showing up and what are the energies and the rituals that we're feeding with how we choose to acknowledge ourselves uh, and our people. And I think that's a very nuanced layer and level of the work that some people don't have an understanding of. And so you're not helping anybody basically to all the people that hold that, like you're not helping anybody by holding that energy and directing it towards yourself and, and towards your people. And it's a really big difference to come from a place of recognition uh, rather than blame. The energy is very different. And we have to come to this place of acknowledgement of the harms that were done rather than being in a space of blame and victimhood if we really want cultural healing to happen. So, yeah. I love this framework of uh, the rituals of disconnection. And I, I see a big part of that too is just the like collapsing down of these like we were speaking about larger um, historical ancestral patterns into really simplistic concepts 
today um, that just don't look at the bigger picture. And it reminds me of something you said in that in that interview that you did, which is that white and black isn't ancestry. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike everybody we know, right? This is a social construct of race. What is a white? What is a black? Please tell me because I don't understand. And it and it's it's so ingrained in our culture, right? To see all of that, just like that binary. And I am aware that there are other races and ancestries, but when we talk about uh, the particular struggles of those that came from Africa that were bought from Africa here and those of European descent that colonized the Americas and, and were participating in the slave trade, that's the thing, right? That is how our culture is holding race. It, it is trumping ancestry at this point. And it's something that we really need to examine and we really need to look at because in holding, and this is another piece of the ritual, like race, the upholding of race is a ritual in itself, right? And so when we're claiming these things, these concepts around race, and we don't have a sense of our actual ancestry and our identity in that way, we're reinforcing the constructs and the systems of race. And so in order to buck the system and help with the collapsing of that system, part of it is acknowledging the ancestries that are present and not being content and satisfied with the social construct of race and existing within that. And I'm not saying that it's gonna go away, it's a big part of the system, but how are the ways that we are dismantling uh, these cultural norms and social constructs in our own life and in our own world, our own worldview as we move through the world? And a part of that is like knowing your people and who you come from and where you come from and not just being uh, limited to that story of white or black, right? Yeah, mm, it's, yeah, um, just again, a very simplistic framework when ancestry itself and the actual living humans and individuals and these larger patterns of the lineages is so much more complex and beautiful yeah. than those concepts. So you also spoke about harmonizing your lineages in your body. I, mm -hmm. what, what, what does that mean? What did that process look like? How did it feel? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Um, it, so in the process within the framework developed by Dr. Daniel Ford in Ancestral Medicine, when you have at least two lineages well, there's an opportunity for those lineages to be braided together or sort of woven together, introduced to one another in this way, such that they're in an alignment and in connection and uh, in communication through you. And so that's sort of what the process looked like for me. And I will speak more specifically around, I didn't have as much blockages when it came to harmonizing my lineages that were of uh, West African descent with one another. But the the tricky part around the harmonization came from me and harmonizing those lineages that were like explicitly like totally outright like European and, you know, not through like because of slavery and, and lack of consent and things of that nature uh, that happened in some of the West African lineages. Um, it was hard, right? Because there were parts of my body that didn't feel like were receiving the fullness of my being and my soul because they were, there was shame around them, around being of diverse and mixed ancestry. And so having that piece come online, like 
actually coming into relationship with the ancestors that were of British and Irish uh, descent and really being in communication and connection with them and opening up to like, there is goodness here. There is so much more in the larger arc of linear time, I guess, if, if we want to call it that, in the span of, of humanity, there are gifts there that they have to offer and they need to come online. And there are parts of my body that were shut down and just not in a space of receiving prior to being in connection with them. And it was amazing. It finally felt like I was a whole, like having those lineages in conversation and in connection and communicating with one another was amazing. It was so amazing. It was so liberating to have them in communication with one another. And one of the processes where I had these two lineages, me two maternal, uh, excuse me, my maternal grandmother and my, uh, paternal grandmother. Those two lineages met and just a little bit of backstory. So my maternal grandmother, uh, her people are from Alabama and her great grandmother. Yeah. Her great grandmother that was raised uh, well, taken care of as she was being raised by her grandmother, uh, belonged to a foot washing church out in, um, Alabama when they lived in Alabama and at some point she was a slave um, in her life. and But she belonged to this foot washing church. And there were these rituals that my grandmother was telling me about. But she didn't use the language of rituals. She said, you know, they would meet out in the woods. And they would hold church out of the woods. And they would wash each other's feet. They would go looking around for particular plants in the woods. And she's like, my mama, that's what she called her great grandma. She could name anything. Like she knew what all these plants were. And she was blind on top of that. So like she would help with foraging. You could identify through smell um, some of the plants that were out in the woods and they would do these foot washing rituals. And I've always had this thing about like my feet being on the ground and being clean, right? Like walking, but not leaving a mess in my wake. And so I've always paid really close attention and felt that lineage very strongly in my feet, like anchoring me here on the earth and making sure that my hands and my feet stay clean, like my character's intact while I'm here. And it was really beautiful because I had those two lineages meet one another and they washed each other's feet in that harmonization of those two lines. And so it was just like this reciprocity of like, I see you, like we're in connection, we're in communication, there's goodness here and let's do this ritual. And then they washed my feet. The both of them. So like having, sorry, it just, yeah. <sighs> having that connection to them and having that practice of forgiveness and seeing that model to me through the two of them. And then knowing that I get to live that forgiveness and embody that in my life is really powerful, really powerful. And it really speaks to the possibility of healing beyond the linear concept of time and space. And so that was a particularly strong um, experience that I had with the, the harmonizing of, of those two lineages, having them come online in that way and be in relationship to one another. And for me to feel safe to be in relationship to all the parts of myself in that way. Mm. Oh, so sorry. Yeah, I just got yeah. I just cried over here too. Um, 
And so I think just to clarify, I'm assuming that your father's mother's people are of European yeah. descent. Yeah. Oh. yeah. That I mean that's such, you know, the that that healing vision that you had, but also the historical reality of that ancestor of yours and her and her circle of folks sitting in the woods washing each other's feet. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, you um again just quoting you, you spoke about how this whole process of doing the ancestral work has really um just like you've already said, helped you step out of a place of victimhood and center yourself in an identity that's not always in opposition and not letting the world assign an identity to you. Yeah. I think it's really big and I think it's a really part an integral part of us as humans being here and really being here and claiming the identity of being an ancestor and an ancestor returning and a, and a child of our ancestors, right? A child of our people and letting that have priority over the identities that the world is going to assign to us. And I had a really beautiful, I guess, connection or dialogue with my people around this you know we're born into this container of earth and there's ritual that's swirling around in this container that we come into and all of the identities that are coming about that are generated in this container are tainted with that ritual right and right now there's a lot of rituals of disconnection that are happening and so my people told me in this conversation they were like it's really important that you're anchored in this identity of being a child of, of your people, of God and of this earth, of spirit, before you are so fully anchored in the identities of the world, because those identities are tainted with the rituals of disconnection that are happening. And those identities have rituals that are in place to uphold them. And so when we assume an identity or one is placed on us and we're leaning into it, we're perpetuating the rituals that uphold those identities and when we're holding space for those rituals then we're not holding space for the ritual of actually being a child of our people there's not a lot of space and energy devoted to the rituals of like being a student and being in a study of what it means to be a child of the earth a child of god creator and a child of our ancestors and so i've been very particular uh, and i know identity is not something that we can escape i'm very aware of that but i've also been very conscious of how much of my energy goes towards uh, embodying and assuming these identities within the social constructs that we have versus really leaning into the identity of being an ancestor returning, a child of my people, a child of God and a child of the universe, because those are the rituals that I want to be feeding. Those are the rituals that help with uh, healing mm. that's, that's to come. So it's, it's just being aware of that. Mm, Thank you, Tamira. I just this is like just so healing for me, you know, and just I think everyone who's paying attention to what's what's going on right now in this country and all the hurt and all the pain and all the healing that many people are trying to bring forth and how um, kind of confusing and obscured and convoluted the path forward can seem. Um, yeah. Your your words and especially your. Your, your vision of your ancestors coming together reminds me of something that Ruby Sales said, and you introduced me to the work of Ruby Sales. She's um, 
she's been working in social healing movements since the 60s, since civil rights. And in her TED talk that I watched, she said, our redemption is tied into their redemption. And we won't be free until we are all free of this oppressive anger that is paralyzing us right now as a country. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. I have, um, I started this conversation with a headache. And when I sit, super still as I must do to keep my my mouth a certain distance from the microphone the headache gets worse but it's so interesting because it tends to happen in conversations like this that are like really hitting home and um like hitting something inside of me that needs tending you know yeah so I'm feeling I'm like like in literally splitting pain in my head, but also like, wow, this is so interesting that this is happening as I'm listening to these words from Tamira right now and feeling so grateful for them. Um, so thank you. And, and speaking more about like just embodying the blessings of our ancestors, your, your words that you have shared on a video and on your podcast around imposter syndrome, I think they hit me so deeply. And I think that we're all, we're all looking for belonging. We're all looking for home. And here it is, right? Here it is in the realm of the ancestors, which is BTW, us and our bodies and our very selves. Um, yeah. And so can can you share like your own experiences with imposter syndrome and, and the wisdom that your ancestors have shared around that and how that's helped you to step into your medicine? Definitely. It's, and I, I love what you said about everyone's looking for the sense of belonging. And that's true. And with all the harms and the anger that's being held in the world, everybody's looking for a sense of belonging, right? And we fall really victim and susceptible to being swept up in the currents of, of hatred and having these desires of belonging that will do anything when we don't know who we are, when we don't have a sense of identity. If we have someone or a group of people that are willing to validate us and see us because we've not had that experience, then we fall victim to being swept up into like perpetuating harms and doing really ghastly things in the world. And so... I just wanted to speak to that because the sense of belonging is really big and it feeds into imposter syndrome. When we don't know that we belong to someone, to our people, that they're praying over us and that we're holding us, oftentimes it can be a really big block in bringing our work forward and into the world because we don't have a sense of stability and grounding and a sense of support in what we're doing and what we're bringing forward. And so we're always in, in question of that, of like, oh my God, am I am I crazy like what is happening and you know like who is supporting this and and am I do I belong here and how am I allowed to have this gift so we're in this space of questioning and I actually was more so in that space um within the past few months more recently and that's why I did that talk on um the short video and the post on imposter syndrome because it was really up for me you know it's very clear and holding this work for other people, the ancestral healing work, this is work that I am supposed to be doing. Like there is no other way around it. In addition to other things, like this is a part of my work and a part of the gifts of my lineage is being a ritual, is being a ritualist. 
right? And tending to myself for healing and then being a vehicle to help other people learn how to attend to themselves and their lineages uh, for healing and for transformation. And so my ancestors really like knocked me flat on my butt one day. I was just like, I don't know if I want to do this. I can't do this. Who am I to do this? Oh my God, let me just tell myself all the stories that I've been told about myself by the world, by people in my family. Let me just sit in here and wallow in all of this and totally question all the blessings, all the prayers, all the ritual that's being going, you know, being fed by the ancestors and the powers for me to be alive in this moment. And I was literally like in my little imposter syndrome spiral and I went outside and it was just still, and it was just so quiet and I could feel them present for me. And in particular, it was my mother's mother's lineage because that lineage is really strong for me. And they, in their fierce and loving, kind way, just kind of like laid me out. And they're like, do you forget where you come from? Do you forget who is walking with you? Like you have two feet, but you're being carried on the prayers of like thousands of us. And like, we don't take it lightly when you're holding this imposter syndrome stuff, because we feel like you're questioning the rituals and the gifts and everything that we're working really hard to keep open and available to you in this life. And so I am in this place of moving beyond and through that. And a lot of it is like social conditioning too, of like this work isn't quote unquote normal. You know, it's, it's, we don't have a framework for it in our culture. And so it's like, okay, and you agreed to do this. And so are you going to be in connection and relationship with us and honoring these gifts that are coming forward in this way? Or are you going to choose to do something else? Are you going to choose to do the latter? And I'm like, well, I'm not doing the latter. Cause like, I don't want to be in that life of disconnection. Like I've been there, I've done that and it doesn't feel good. Right. And I know that I'm accountable to them and that their powers in addition to the ancestors that I have to show a record of what I've done on this earth when I leave this body. And I want to be able to say like, I met my agreements, my commitments, like I did it. I bought it forward. Like I'm ready for the next step. Like, yeah, graduation. <laughs> like I want to achieve that. And so it really has come through just knowing that my people are with me and that in the presence of my people, no matter who I'm surrounded by physically, that it's impossible for me to be an imposter because they know who I am. Even when I don't know who I am, even when I'm questioning, they know. And so tapping in and being in connection with them is a way of remembering who I am and what the work is uh, that I'm bringing forward. And so I'm present with that and then cognizant with that every time that story comes up for me, uh, just to be like, Hey, I remember that conversation I had with them. Yep. <laughs> if I need to just take a chill pill, I'm going to do that. And also I'm not going to be that person that's like, this is not real and you know, whatever, let me go do something else. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Cause it's really easy to do that. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to do that. And I get validation all the time through my people, like through the synchronicities, through the signs, through being in direct communication with them, through my children who are like fresh from the ancestral realm that are unfiltered, that will speak to me and share things with me. And, and that is enough. That's enough. And I think that it's really important for people who are bringing their gifts online and bringing their gifts into the world, be in relationship to your people. Like they're helping to create the conditions for you to be here. They have wisdom and they have medicine for imposter syndrome. 
really good medicine. Um, I was just speaking, it reminds me of this thing I, I heard recently, which is shyness is self-obsession. And that's kind of kind of hard at first, you know, I was pretty shy as a kid and just thinking about people who are naturally introverted, which is not necessarily the same as shyness, but hearing you speak, I am, um, I can see the truth in that and that shyness or imposter syndrome or just holding ourselves back thinking we don't belong or we're not good enough really is a form of self-obsession or at least being too focused on our individual selves and individual lives and when we can again widen the scope to the bigger story of those who came before us those whose bodies make up our very body then we can see that this isn't just about us that this lifetime and and our work here is not just an individual fulfillment journey, but is so much bigger than that. And that as you're saying, we are held by so many people in our work and in our time being embodied on earth, which is a really difficult thing to be right now. Yeah, totally. It is. And I just want to reflect back. Um, geez, I think I lost my train of thought here. Let me pause. They're speaking to me. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really important to just reflect back, like you were saying, like the shyness and the self-absorbedness and individual uh, emphasis, you know, because our culture is really big on the individual, right? The individual experience has got to be individualized, like the singular person and really stepping back and having that space for our collective of people that are walking with us and their medicines and gifts that are coming through us for collective healing, right? And being a, a piece and a part of the bigger and the greater web of life, willing to be humbled into that, knowing that it's just not your life, right? It's like the lives of all the others that have come before and their sacrifices and their presence. And that it's not just any one singular interaction that's having that's uh, happening in time. It's like these bigger dynamics and interactions that are happening between the ancestors but through us and so really uh, having the wisdom to be humbled and to step back and to recognize that is really big it's a really big and a really uh, important part of the work and I know for myself the imposter syndrome was uh, a reality check and uh, a time for me to be like what is this really about and some of that was about my investments in the identities of the social constructs that we have, right? There are parts of my identity that were like really heavily rooted in being this thing, this way, the social constructs that we have a definition for, for describing people and no longer really fitting into that. Those things uh, coming into challenge was a part of the imposter syndrome for me. It's like, well, I really don't fit into this category anymore. And my ancestors were like, girl, what category? What, why do you want to fit into it? Why? Like, please. Can we do something different? Just like, oh, yeah. Also, there's a little bit of grief there because that means like, you know, my understanding of myself is shifting and changing in relationship to those that are around me and in relationship to the frameworks that I do have in place for relating and for identifying myself. And so there was space and time for that. And also just the awareness of like, okay, take that time, take that space, and also know that the identity that you build here on the earth is not necessarily like the fullness and the truth of your identity 
of being an ancestor returning and, and that a child of your people. So there's sometimes where we have to step back and say like, what, what is this fear? What is this imposter syndrome coming up? What is it rooted in? Are there parts of my identity that are no longer valid or the social constructs for, you know, that are in place? Do I no longer fit into those? What's, what's the shame? What's the grief around that? What, how is this counterproductive to the narratives that I've been told about myself? Now I'm writing a different narrative, you know, so being present with that, that was another piece of the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was very, very touched by a podcast episode you did called The Sacred Grief of Childhood. I mean, like, it just took me right back to my own childhood and to the ways that I wish I had been held when uh, larger, deeper questions and feelings around what it is to be embodied when they came up. So can you please share with with our listeners today, um, this story that came up with your daughter and how you held that for her. Yeah. So it was about a year ago. Um, my eldest daughter who was five at the time was having some trouble getting to sleep and she was really, really tired, but, uh, she was, you know, having a tantrum, having a meltdown and also was telling me, uh, that the theme of death had come up because my partner's mother had just died four months prior from cancer. And she was saying to me, mommy, I'm going to miss you when you die. I'm going to be really sad when you die. Right. And so I just reflect back on my own childhood of like, Oh, don't talk like that. That's not going to happen. Like, you know, in that moment I was given this opportunity of like, okay, how do I get to be there for her and acknowledge like death is a part of living. Right to like not make it taboo, not make it weird and to honor her grief. And so I sat there and I said, you know, I'm going to miss you when I die too. And I'm going to be holding really big prayers. All of us can that we get to live a long life and be together for a long time for snuggles, for good times and for laughter and all the things. And so in that moment, it was super important for me to step outside of the framework that I had that I was raised with because I wasn't really raised with a framework around grief. Right the thing to do with grief is to like shove it, put it in the closet. Let's not talk about it. Go medicate, go do something else, go take it out on somebody else. Right. So in that moment, I had an opportunity to step outside of that with the help of my ancestors, like being in connection with them and to recognize like, Oh, this is my chance now to be witness and to be present and to also give my child a framework for navigating and talking about grief and talking about death and talking about living and what it means to be alive without it being something weird or taboo or making it so uncomfortable that she doesn't have um, a means for talking to anyone about these things, that she doesn't feel safe talking to anyone about them. And so in that moment, I chose to acknowledge her and hold her in her grief and to acknowledge that it's healthy. You know, and I told her, like, grief is a real thing. Grief is a part of life. Grief is a part of praise, right? That's how we, grief and praise is a beautiful saying that Martin Partel uh, has. And if anybody wants to Google him, he's awesome. Um, and he has a really beautiful book of grief. Uh, I think it is The Smell of Dust on Rain. Something along that title, but yeah. it's really beautiful. The Smell of Rain on Dust. Smell of Rain on Dust. Yeah, it's a really beautiful, beautiful book. And it's like that's a part of the healing that needs to happen on a cultural level 
is with our kids. Like, how do we talk about being incarnate? How do we talk about grief? How do we talk about the impermanence of this world? How do we talk about, you know, I don't know when I'm going to go. I don't know when they're going to go. And also like, that is not the end. That may be the end of the incarnate body in this form, but that's not the end of the connection, right? And so the ancestral healing work for me and weaving the kids in has been a way of showing them like there's connection, there's something else that is happening. There are ways of being in connection. And also it's okay that you're grieving the loss of the physical connection before it even happened. Like it's not weird. Like it's totally, it's fine. And I'm going to be here for you. And I'm going to acknowledge that and make it commonplace that you have a language and a framework uh, for navigating that. So you don't feel compelled to shove it and to hold it and to take it out on other people or to abuse your body through substances or any other thing, you know, that people spiral into when we have unmetabolized grief. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're holding in the collective. The anger, the fear, all of it is unmetabolized grief. And Martin Partel talks about this uh, in his book. It's like we're holding generations of unmetabolized grief and it's being expressed as anger, as hatred, as all the cultural ills and the cultural harms. And so in being there for my daughter and holding her in that way, that's my way of being like, okay, and we're not adding any more to this pile. Like we're going to talk about this. We're going to have a way of like metabolizing this and moving through it and not being um, worked by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your daughters are so lucky to have you. I, 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 like I said, I just so wish I'd been held like that because I, I thought about death all the time as a child and really thought about my mom, especially dying and would just like cry and cry and just be told like, oh, no, go think about happy things. It's so, you know, just, I was not held. It wasn't acknowledged that it was real. And aside from the very important piece of the huge cultural and metabolized grief, there's also on an individual level when we tell kids to forget about it, to not think about it. Um, we, of course, you know, deny the reality of death, but then when it does happen, when there is grief, trauma, pain, loss, death, what I see so often in grown ass people, you know, including older folks, they're like, they're shocked that it happened to them and they don't know how to deal with it at all. And it's like, man, this is just basic human stuff that like we really should, of course, it's going to be like shocking and awful and so sad and difficult, but there should be like a deeper level of understanding around impermanence and loss as, as embodied humans. And there's just not for so many people. And it makes it so much worse when they finally are the one on the receiving end of that phone call. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think we can end here. I like that we um, tied it back into the children, and that's another piece that you hold that I really deeply appreciate. So, please, Tamira, tell people about your podcast and um, just where they can find you online and and dive deeper into your beautiful, beautiful ancestral wisdom that are being brought forth. Yeah, thank you. So my podcast is Get Your Chit, C-H-I-T, together. And it's on all the platforms on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, FM, Player, anywhere you get your podcast from is there. And so those 
are just very short snippets of ancestral wisdoms, wisdoms by spirit that come through. And I share with folks, and generally they're no longer than five to 10 minutes. They're very short little snippets to digest and dive into. I love that. And sometimes the live interviews. Yeah, I do too. I was like, at first I was like, I don't know. And I'm like, this feels right. It feels good. And it's people so are like, good. just do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you got it. So uh, that's the podcast. And then you can find me on uh, social media by searching Tamira Cassette. And also you can visit my website, www.tamiracassette.com. There's meditations on there. There's meditations on the Insight Timer that I've written and recorded. There's teachings, uh, ancestral teachings as they come through. Uh, that are placed on the website and the podcast is on the website uh, as well. You can listen to that through SoundCloud. Yeah. Yeah. And I also am going to really recommend either on your Instagram um, or on your website that people watch your video on perfectionism. I think anyone who liked the um, imposter syndrome piece that we touched on today will really benefit from that as well. So Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Tamira, for telling these really deep and healing medicine stories today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And also, if people are interested in ancestral healing, I'm holding that session work for people, and that's on the website too. So, yeah, and yeah. and again, this is um, through the framework of Daniel Four, who my listeners may have heard him twice already on the podcast, and. It's um, a framework that I've gone through myself and is so powerful. And Tamira, I can just imagine how beautifully you hold it. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that's listening. And greetings on behalf of my well ancestors to your well ancestors. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find past episodes, my blog, and our handmade herbal medicines at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, mugwort, yarrow, redwood, body oils, an amazing sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, so much more, more than I can list there, mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, check out my quiz, which healing herb is your spirit medicine? It's fun and lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It is so worth your while. There are dozens and dozens of killer rewards there, and I've been told by many folks that it's the best Patreon out there. We've got ebooks, downloadable PDFs, bonus interviews, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning and behind the scenes stuff, and just so much more. The best of it is available at the $2 a month level. Thank you. And please subscribe on whichever app you use. Just click that little subscribe button. 
and review on iTunes. It's so helpful. And if you do that, you just may be featured in a listener spotlight in the future. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue. That's M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. Thank you, Marie. And thanks to you all. I look forward to next time.